How many of you have ever found yourself in such a state of spiritual frustration that you actually considered barbecuing your Bible? (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? I'll tell you, I've had some dark nights of the soul in my walk with God, but I don't think I ever have gotten to that point. But Philip Yancey, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts?, details the story of a very promising young man, an up-and-coming leader in the Christian church, who did exactly that. Yancey, as many of you know, is a best-selling Christian writer, And his publishing house contacted him and told him about a man who was just graduating from seminary. He had written his master's thesis on the book of Job. Boy, talk about taking on the biggies. And the master's thesis was so good, Yancey's publishing house wanted to take it national. They wanted to publish this baby. So they had Yancey work with this young man as an editor, and they struck up a relationship, and As they were working on the project, one night, Philip Yancey got a call from this young man. He said to Philip Yancey, I just wanted to call and tell you, the project on Job, it's off. I'm not going to do it anymore. In fact, I want to tell you something else. My relationship with God, that's off too. I'm not a Christian anymore. Well, when Yancey began to probe and ask this young man why he came to such a radical decision, such an unexpected decision in his life, he recounted to Yancey how he had gone through a series of personal reversals, first losing a close loved one in his life, then a devastating set of financial circumstances, one after another left him bankrupt. Then to top it off, his fiancée announced that she no longer loved him and left him on the spot. Well, this young man who had specialized in a book that deals with the idea of of struggling through dark nights of the soul had his own dark night of the soul. He found himself crying out to God, saying to God, God, if you are real, God, if you are there, please speak to me now. I need to hear your voice. And he included a very radical P.S. to that prayer request. He said, God, if you don't speak to me by the time the sun comes up tomorrow, I'm done. It's over for me as a Christian. Well, the hours ticked by, then the minutes. Finally, the sun came up on the horizon. God's answer appeared to be silence. And so this young man took his entire library of books... All of his notes, all of his papers, yes, even his manuscript on the book of Job. And went down to the barbecue pit in his apartment. Turned the thing on and lit him up. Finally, at the very end, he took his own Bible that he'd had for years and tossed it into the flames. A radical move? Oh, you better believe it. We ask ourselves the question, can we possibly relate to somebody who would do such a radical thing? But, you know, if we take a step back and we take a look at the issue of the heart this young man was dealing with, well, maybe that issue has a way of hitting closer to home than many of us would like to think. How many of you out there, when 
your back has been against the wall. When you've gone through your own personal dark night of the soul, would have given anything to hear God speak to you. To hear a word of encouragement, to hear a word of comfort, to even hear a word of correction, anything. But you were greeted by silence. You know, each and every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday from 3 to 4 p.m., I host a program called Scott Richards Live, which is a Bible question and answer program. And I have to say, of all the questions that we are asked on that program, there are fewer questions that I believe are more powerful, more personal, and more far-reachingly practical than I've ever been asked than that simple question. Does God speak today? Can we hear the voice of God today? Does God have a message he wants to communicate to us? And if so, how do we tune in to his frequency so we can hear his voice when we need it the most? So we can find ourselves not in a place of such desperation that we have a Bible barbecue of our own. Well, the good news I'd like to share with you all tonight is this. God does still speak today. And the difference between people that have what I call a Timex faith, a faith that takes a licking and keeps on ticking, and those who fall by the wayside, more often than not comes down to understanding what it means to tune in and listen to the voice of God. If you have a Bible handy with you, Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 19. We're going to spend some time there tonight. And in Psalm 19, I think we are going to discover three irreplaceable truths for our lives about how God speaks to us today. We're going to discover the channels that God uses to speak to us. We're going to understand the connection that God wants to make with us as he speaks through these channels. And the amazing changes that can happen in the life of people who not only come to the conclusion, yes, God still is speaking today, but have the same heart we see displayed in young Samuel as he was called to be a prophet of God. The best of advice anyone was ever given as far as tuning into God's frequency was this advice he was given. If you hear the Lord speak again, Reply by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Let's learn tonight how to become those listening servants of God. Shall we pray and commit this time into the Lord's hands? Father, thank you that you are present here tonight. Your word declares to us where two or more would gather in my name, I would be there in the midst. Well, we've certainly exceeded that quota. Lord, we've expressed our hearts to you in wonderful praise and worship tonight, celebrating your goodness. Now, Lord, it is our time to worship you by quieting our hearts, having that spirit that Samuel had, desiring more than anything else to hear what you would say to us, not only as a body of believers, but as individuals. May your word go forth. May this be a time tonight where our relationship with you becomes more intimate, more personal, more practically challenging and powerful than it's ever been before. 
Oh, Lord, faithful are you who calls us, who will also do it. So we commit this time to you. Lead us into all truth as you promised you would through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 19. Maybe it's familiar turf for many of you out there. Perhaps it is so familiar to some of you out there. Some of you may have even committed it to memory. But these familiar words written by King David declare these wonderful truths. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. King David, as you recall, before he began his career as perhaps Israel's most notable king, began his work life in a very humble way. He began as a shepherd. One that would watch over the flocks, particularly keeping the flocks safe from predators in the night seasons. Well, back before the advent of neon and quartz halogen lighting, King David had a front row seat for an amazing show that is put on each and every night. The heavens declaring the glory of God and the firmament showing forth his handiwork. Gang, this is the first channel that God uses to speak to us today. Notice the heavens that we see above us. Even David going specifically to talk about the faithfulness of the sun going through its courses each and every day has a lesson to teach us as believers. It is God's way of saying, look up. I've got something I want to tell you. The message that God wants to share with us from the creation is a simple but profound one. Our God, as the singer Rich Mullins once put it, is an awesome God. Have you ever had the opportunity to get out away from city lights? Maybe it was on a camping trip. I got to confess to you, my idea of a great camping trip is, uh, well, camping in a place, uh, well, that, that, that has room service. I really don't like roughing it, getting into the great outdoors. But when you get involved with this ministry thing, you know, sooner or later you are drag kicking and screaming into such things, particularly when you're a youth pastor. It's, it's, some, it's a rite of passage. It's something you've got to go through. I think it's God's weed out thing. If you can survive hanging out with these kids in the wilderness, you then can go on to nicer duties. But those times when I have been drag kicking and screaming into the wilderness, maybe you've had this opportunity. You've gone willingly to the high country, away from the city lights. And maybe one of the things that sticks in your mind, certainly sticks in my mind, Those times when I've gone up on Mount Lemmon, up above Tucson, Arizona, about a 9,000 foot mountain up there, is seeing the sun go down and seeing this show begin to be portrayed for us in the heavens above. There's nothing like being in the high country in a real dark sight to be able to appreciate 
the glory of God displayed in the heavens above us. Well, that's an impressive show that we see. But if you want to make it a little bit more impressive, get out a pair of binoculars and begin taking a look just across that milky swath we call the Milky Way out there. Oh, you start to see amazing things, demonstrations of God's amazing power and glory. You want it to get even more interesting, get a hold of a telescope. And start training it on some of those objects that look so familiar to you. Some of those stars, you think, oh yeah, I know what that's all about. And you look and see for the first time the glories of the planets or these wonderful nebula, these gas clouds that are putting on this amazing show of beauty. You really want to be blown away, take it a step further. Check out an orbital platform that is above the Earth right now called the Hubble Space Telescope. And see the glories of our Creator that the pictures of this instrument are beaming back to us. Oh, there are some incredible things out there for us to see. Consider one object that tells us a little bit about the glory of God and the awesome power of our Creator. It's called the Andromeda Galaxy. It's known as the most distant object that is still visible with the naked eye. In a very dark place, on a very still night, you can make out this little fuzzy patch of light out there that scientists discovered was a galaxy. Well, they've been able to to determine some amazing things about the Andromeda galaxy. It's 2.5 million light years away. Now, that is a fur piece. The Andromeda galaxy is 200,000 light years across. It consists of 300 to 400 billion stars. Well, that is an impressive, impressive sight. We look at that and we realize that God has, in fact, created this thing. It absolutely blows our minds. But then we start to realize something else. Science now tells us that the Andromeda galaxy is not alone. There's all kinds of galaxies out there just like Andromeda made up of billions and billions of stars. We are told, for instance, that the Hubble Space Telescope was used in a project called the Hubble Deep Field. What they decided to do was they wanted to take a picture of a piece of the sky with the Hubble Space Telescope, one-thirtieth of the diameter of the moon. The scientists decided they wanted to aim this telescope at a place they called the Galactic Desert a place where they were absolutely convinced they wouldn't find any galaxies like the Andromeda galaxy or like our own Milky Way. Well, the results came back from the Hubble Deep Field Study, and they discovered that this piece of the sky was anything but a desert. To this date, over 1,500 galaxies have shown up in that image that came back from the Hubble Space Telescope. You say, oh, this sounds all very interesting, somewhat trivial. What in the world does this have to say to do with God speaking to us today? Well, quite a bit. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. If you want to get a handle on the message that God is broadcasting to each and every human being each and every night, consider this awesome passage of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12 declares, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heavens with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance? Wow. 
Do you understand what this passage is telling us about God? God measures the heavens, we're told in this scripture, by the span. Now, the span was an ancient form of measurement. It was kind of one of those finagle factors out there, you know, that people used to use when they were attempting to construct things. They didn't have the precise measuring tools, say, that we have today. But if you wanted to figure out, say, how much wood you needed for a particular project or if a particular board was going to fit in a structure you were building, you could measure it by the span. A span is the distance between the average person's thumb and forefinger. And so you can measure things out by the span. Do you understand what Isaiah 40 is telling us? What Isaiah 40 is telling us tonight, gang, is that our God is so awesome. He measures the entire universe filled with billions upon billions of galaxies like the Andromeda galaxy we've talked about, like our own Milky Way, made up of billions and billions of stars. Scientists now estimate that our universe is anywhere from 15 to 20 billion light years across. Now, a light year is the distance that light can travel in one year at 186,000 miles per second. Now, now, put all this together. How awesome is our God? How powerful is He? Consider this. Say we as human beings considered our march towards technological mastery of our environment, of the universe. Say we even got to the place where travel at the speed of light, not like you see on Star Trek or these other programs, was possible. Say we genetically engineered human beings to live incredibly long periods of time, and then as the ultimate culmination of human creativity, we put together a mission to go from one end of the universe to the other, 15 to 20 billion light years. Say we were able to pull that off. 15 to 20 billion light years, we go from one end of the universe to the other. You know what we would have succeeded in doing? Traveling the distance between God's thumb and his forefinger. And that gang is an accommodation. No wonder King David here in Psalm 19 said these wonderful words, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. As a resident of Tucson, Arizona, I firmly believe in that last line. But don't miss the bigger point. Each and every night, each and every day, God has a message He is broadcasting to all of humanity, including you and me, that our Creator is awesome. Our Creator is all-powerful. What difference does that make to you and me? Especially to people like us who sometimes find ourselves in a place where we encounter discouraging times in the dark night of the soul. You know, I have had people who go through hard times come to me and they say, well, you know, I know I'm struggling, but 
You know, God has bigger fish to fry in this universe. I mean, He's holding the whole thing together. He's just so awesome. How in the world could He possibly be concerned about a little dust moat like me? Oh, oh, God is too big to even know what's going on in my life. Have you ever heard people say that? You know, I've come up with an answer for that question. When people say that, I, I ask them very gently but firmly, do you believe God is great enough? To create the heavens and the earth. Oh, yeah, I, I think God can create the heavens and the earth. Do you believe what the Bible says in the book of Colossians? That it is God who holds every atom in the universe together. That He has that kind of power. Oh, yeah, yeah, God can do all that. He can certainly do the big thing. And I smile and I say, you know, if God can do the big things, like to create the heavens and the earth, if He can do the awesome things like hold every molecule, every atom of the universe together by His awesome power, why do you think it would be a hard thing for Him to do a small thing like care about little old you and little old me? Oh, that's exactly what Jesus tells us. In the book of Luke, we are told by Jesus Himself a very amazing principle of scripture in Luke chapter 12 Jesus said this in verse 6 are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God but the very hairs of your head are all numbered do not fear therefore you are of more value than many sparrows this is how God looks at you And God looks at me. God is not only aware of the big things in your life, He's aware of the small things in your life. I love that God has numbered the very hairs on my head. That tells me that God is very interested in me because when you get to my age, that number is constantly changing. (laughs) Yet He knows. And He cares. If God is so interested, He knows where you stand, follically speaking. Don't you think he knows about that burden that you carry? That heartache that you have? That prayer request that perhaps you've made over and over again for maybe a loved one that you would just really love to see come to know the Lord, but but they just seem to be getting farther away. You don't think God knows about all that? You don't think he's great enough to handle all that? Oh, the first message that God wants to get across to us. Look at his creation. Look up. And you'll discover that God, each and every day as the sun comes up, each and every night as the firmament puts on its show, is telling us something. Our God is powerful. Our God is able to take care of even the greatest problems that come our way in life. First message, we want to tune into God's frequency. We can receive by looking up. But notice Psalm 19 doesn't leave us there. If all we had to go on was the message of creation, if all we had was God declaring each and every night and each and every day His wonderful glory, well, we could know that God was powerful. But how could we know Him personally? Oh yeah, God is in heaven and we are on the earth. Uh, That's absolutely indisputable. But can we know Him? Can we know His way? Can we know about a relationship with Him? That's where David turns his attention next. Psalm 19 and verse 7. He switches gears on us. He takes our attention from the heavens above 
to the Bible that's sitting before you. The law of the Lord is perfect, verse 7 declares, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Here we see the second channel that God uses to communicate his message to us. Not just his creation, you understand, but his revelation, his inspired word, the Bible. Notice four characteristics of the word of God that David calls to our attention in this passage. The first is kind of the basic message of God's word. The one message he wants you and me to get more than any other. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Some people will say, what is the message of the Bible? Who can really understand the message of the Bible? The message of the Bible, so many people have so many different interpretations and there's so much debate about what this passage and that means. How in the world can we know what the Bible says? Some people believe that the Bible is really kind of like a spiritual inkblot test. You remember those inkblot tests? Maybe you've, you've seen those before. You know, where they hold up an inkblot and you're supposed to look at it and, and, and you're supposed to say what you see in the inkblot. Well, some people believe that that's how the Bible works. We just read into it, you see, because nobody can really know what the message of the Bible is all about. Well, I beg to differ. The basic message of the Bible is hard to miss. The basic message of the Bible is this. God loves us. God created us for a relationship with himself. But mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, turned away from a relationship with God. Yet God continues to love mankind. God is just, and so he must punish sin and iniquity. He cannot just look the other way and say, Oh, well, you know, you, you, you naughty little people, little Adolf Hitler, oh, you, you're such a scamp, come on in. He can't do that. He's just, and he must punish sin. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. Spiritual separation from God. Oh, it doesn't take a spiritual genius to figure out that's true. We look around the world we see uh, what goes on around us each and every day and that truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is played out each and every day. But the good news is this. God didn't leave us in our fallen state. God continued to love us and makes a way back to us to a relationship with Him through sending His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on a cruel Roman cross, living a perfect life, but willingly laying that life down for you and me to pay the price for our sins so that we can enter into a relationship with God. You want to know what the message of the Bible is in shorthand? It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The rest, gang are details. Because until you get that truth down, there's nothing else, really, that God wants to speak to you about. 
Notice what David says here. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The first thing that God wants to communicate to you and me is that a relationship with Him is possible, not based on what we try to do for God, but on what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole message of the Bible leads us to. How interesting that David says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know, when we look at the Ten Commandments, there are some people who will say, oh yeah, the Ten Commandments. I think I'm going to heaven someday because I keep the Ten Commandments. Whenever I hear that, I always have a follow-up question. Can you name the Ten Commandments? (laughs) Well, you know, it's the spirit of thing. Okay, let's talk about the spirit of the thing. You ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, yeah, Sermon on the Mount. I live my life by the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, really? You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. Oh, yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, that's a great commandment. I've never killed anybody. That's why I'm going to heaven. But Jesus said, but I tell you, if you are angry with your own brother in your own home, you've already committed murder in your heart. That's the spirit of the law. That doesn't give us any refuge, does it? You see, the law of God was never intended to be our highway to heaven. It was intended to be like God's MRI machine. We take a look at the law and we see just how sick, just how dying we really are. Could you imagine if you go to the doctor, the doctor says, oh man, you are really sick, we're going to run an MRI on you. And they run the MRI and they come back with the results. And they say, yeah, this looks terrible. Man, you really are in bad shape. Unless we do something, you're going to die. You're going to, well, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to run you through the MRI machine again and see if that fixes you. (laughs) If my doctor said that, I'd be looking for another doctor. Because the MRI is a fine machine. It can tell you what's wrong, but it can never make you right. In the same way, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. When we understand how holy God is and how fallen we are, it brings us to that place where we know we need a Savior. It brings us to that place where John 3.16 not only makes sense, but becomes the most precious passage we could possibly imagine. Notice as well, David goes on and says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I love this line because it answers another big question. Oh, yeah? Says who? You ever had people say that to you about the Bible? You say, well, the Bible says. Well, why should I trust the Bible? Here, David makes a very important point for us. That the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. God doesn't ask us to close our eyes and have a belief in Him and His Word that is contrary to reason. Rather, biblical faith is entirely reasonable. The faith that we have in the Word of God. Why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Again, on Scott Richards Live, our our question and answer program, I get asked that question a lot. And I'll give you guys a head start. If someone asks you that question, why do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Three reasons why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. First reason is because it is doctrinally consistent. Although the Bible was written over a 1,500-year span of time by over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, 
It agrees down to the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's on the most controversial subjects known to man. Boy, if we got 40 different authors in the same room today to write about the subjects the Bible speaks on, you think we could find agreement? The Bible, the fact that it doesn't contradict itself, is a miracle. Secondly, we believe the Bible is the Word of God because it's historically accurate. Archaeology, rather than disproving the Bible, has consistently supported the message of the Bible. Jesus laid down the gauntlet in John chapter 3 and verse 12. He said, if I tell you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? What a wonderful thing that our Bible does not begin with the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) No, the Bible is the record of how God has dealt with human beings right here on earth. A record that can be verified or falsified in the annals of history. In my mind and my heart, and believe me, before I became a Christian, I considered myself to be an atheist. But in my mind and my heart, one of the greatest anchors for my faith is the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. An event in history that I believe is better attested to, the fact that Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address or that Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. If you're interested in exploring that a little bit more, well, give me a call on the program or you can pick up a book in the back. We deal with that question in a lot more detail than we have time to do today. But the Bible is historically accurate. But even more importantly, you know, just because you've got a book that agrees with itself and and, and is historically accurate doesn't mean it's divinely inspired, right? Oh, but the Bible has one other reason why we should trust it. It's supernatural quality revealed through prophetic predictions. The annals of biblical prophecy over and over again reveal to us that the author of Scripture isn't a human being, but one who lives above and beyond time that can predict accurately future events before they take place. When I was at the University of Arizona my senior year, I had a roommate who was Jewish. And I didn't want to be the ugly American Christian, you know. I didn't want to chase after him and beat him over the head with my Bible. But it was interesting. We would have these long discussions, and he seemed very interested in finding out why I was a Christian and why I believed in the Word of God. And we would go on and on. One night, I said, you know, uh, Steve, I want to read you a passage. I want to read you this passage and see what you think. And I read him this passage. Surely our griefs he's borne. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And my roommate looked at me and he said, well, you know, that's your New Testament. I'm not interested. I handed him my Bible and I said, no, that's your Bible. That's the book of Isaiah. That was written 700 years before Jesus Christ came on the scene. Powerful? You better believe it. Biblical prophecy gives us that that sure and secure foundation with which to base our faith. Notice as well, the Bible also is a message of direction for our lives. The commandments of the Lord, David goes on in Psalm 19 to say, are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Do you understand what David is telling us here? Sitting in your lap tonight is a priceless treasure. Oh, again, I'm asked a lot of questions on the air. I'm asked a lot of questions as a pastor. And one of the questions that comes up time and time again is this. How can I know God's will for my life? How can I know I'm walking in his ways? What does God want me to do next in life? Here we get the answer. Turn to God's word. You don't need to hear a knock on the door. Open the door and see a glowing angelic being standing there with a package for you saying, Angel Graham, flow chart of your life from the Almighty, complete with diagrams. Sign here, please. Sometimes when people say, I want to know God's will for my life, that's what they're asking for. But you know what? God gives us something better. He gives us His Word. He gives us His precepts. His commandments, even the practical examples of how God has dealt with people down through time for one important reason. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, when David wrote that, it was back before we had, you know, 5,000 candle power lanterns, you know, we take on our camping trips with us, can turn night into day for a quarter mile away, can be seen by the space shuttle as it goes over. No, the lamps they had back then were kind of the torches that you see or even like the little hollowed out pottery lamps and they would only cast on a dark night enough light for you to make the next step. God's word works the same way. You know, sometimes we want God to give us four or five steps ahead in terms of his will for our lives. But you know what? It's a very important truth for you to understand. We can't honestly ask for God's will within our life to be revealed until we are willing to walk in that will. Do you understand that doing God's will right where you are today is the best, most surefire way of making sure that your future destination is smack dab in the midst of God's will? Oh, God wants us to trust Him moment by moment and day by day. And and I know this isn't a compliment to any of us, much less to me personally, but I know why He does it. If God told me the next five steps... I know what my fallen heart would say to God. Okay, God, I'll get back to you on step six. But God wants you to trust him today. God wants you to trust him one moment at a time. And his word will give us the information necessary for us to do just that. Oh, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the ultimate pathway it's leading us to is eternal life. Do you realize what a gift that is? Do you realize what a precious, precious gift that is? You know, sometimes I think God brings us to a place where we understand just how precious the Word of God is, how precious the message of salvation is, what a valuable thing it is, sometimes in inescapably powerful ways. A few years ago, a cousin of mine named Kim Osborne came down with a disease that is just absolutely devastating. He was first falsely diagnosed, and then the doctors confirmed that he was suffering with stomach cancer. Now, my cousin, Kim Osborne, about four years older than I am. And growing up, I want to tell you something. My brother and I, you know, we were growing up, we were punky little kids. We looked up to my cousin, Kim. 
He's a big weightlifter guy. He had this long flowing hair. He looked kind of like Michael Landon, you know, on on uh, on Highway to Heaven. That's kind of how Kim looked. And and believe it or not, he was such a great guy. He even put up with punky little kids like us. He was always nice to us and and always wanted to include us. And we just loved Kim. Well, Kim was a great guy. He was working as in uh, as a contractor up in Washington State, and he's diagnosed with this horrible disease. And when he was diagnosed, I talked to him and, you know, I called him and I said, you know, hey, you know, Kim, where are you at in your walk with God? Well, you know, I'm thinking about that sort of thing. So I, I'd send him some tapes from the church and we'd talk, but it was always kind of like an arm's length sort of thing. Well, he went into remission for a while and things looked good. But then, as is usually the case in these circumstances, the cancer came back with a vengeance. I'll never forget the the very... Uh, depressing day, my mom called me and said, you better call Kim. He's taking a turn for the worst. Things don't look good. So I got the number for the hospital where my cousin was being treated and, and I called up and I said, look, Kim, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. Things don't look good. Have you made peace with God? Have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? And I went over the gospel with him briefly and, and we prayed together. And that was the last conversation I had with Kim. Because the next day I found out that he passed away. And, well, the family asked me to come back to California where we grew up and, and to do Kim's memorial service. And, boy, you know, doing a memorial for someone you're that close to is a real challenging thing. But before we did the memorial, Kim's wife, Terry, came up to me and shared something with me that blew me away. She came up and she said, I want to thank you for talking to Kim before he passed away. It really made a huge difference. And I thought, well, you know, that's a very nice thing to say. I appreciate you saying that. She goes, no. It really made a huge difference. I said, what do you mean? Well, Terry said, you know, after we got off the phone with you, you know, it just seemed like this peace came over, Kim. And, well, he was in and out of a coma. And, you know, your, your uncle and I were there at his bedside. And we were holding hands. And he came to and he just started staring right in front of him, in front of him like he was seeing something that we couldn't see. And he kept staring. We said, what's up? And he shook his hands loose from us. We were holding his hands. And, and he started reaching out in front of him. And he looked at us and he said, God's here. God's here. I've got to receive him. And he was reaching out his hands to God. And, and Terry said, he looked at me and he said, oh, Terry, I just want you to know, God is everything you dreamed he would be. And he looked at his dad and he looked at his wife. And he told both of them that he loved them. And he went to sleep. And a couple hours later, he passed away. And Terry looked at me and said, thanks so much for sharing with him. It really made a world of difference. Well, at that point, I knew what I was going to share at that memorial service with my family. But understand something. The thing that made the difference between life and death, heaven and hell, for my cousin, was the Word of God. The same word you have before you. The same word that can be that lamp under your feet and light under your path. Listen to how David concludes Psalm 19. Who can understand his errors? Verse 12. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Three ways God speaks today. Number one, you look up, you see God's message in the creation. God is powerful. 
You look down before you, even in your lap tonight, and you see the second way that God speaks to us today through His Word. That God is interested in you understanding His plan for us in life. But the third way that God speaks to us is what David speaks as he winds up the song. That wonderful process that He works within our lives. Where we become like Jesus in our character. Where we look at our lives and we say, you know, I'm not all I should be. I'm not all I could be. But boy, you know, God has done a work in me and I'm not who I was. God loves you just the way you are today, but too much to let you stay that way. You wonder what God's up to in your life. You wonder what the next step is. You wonder what in the world is going on. Ask yourself this question. Is God trying to show me His power? Is God trying to show me I need to trust in the principles of His Word? And finally, is God working out a process within my life to make me into someone so so different, so amazingly different than anything I could ever dream? It'll just absolutely blow our minds and touch and change every part of our lives. God speaks today. The big question is, are we listening? Father, as we come before you tonight, how thankful, how grateful we are that you love us. What a faithful, true and living God you are. And and Lord, you don't leave us to grope in the darkness for answers. But your word of light shines. And Lord, as if to drive that point home, You didn't just send prophets and wise men and scribes to reveal your word to us. The ultimate revelation of your word and your truth was delivered personally when your son came, lived a perfect life, laid that life down for us, and rose from the dead so we can have life. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who will be against us? If he didn't spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, freely give us all things? We rejoice in that message. We rejoice in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.